Yeah, we're good. Lovely. Hello, season's greetings to one and all, to you and your king. Hello, Eric. Hello, Nicholas. This is True Review, episode five. We finally made it to the 90s. What a joy. What a dream. What a world. I'm so excited. I've been waiting to record this episode for weeks. It's uh, three days after Christmas. It's 2 p.m. in the afternoon. (laughs) I haven't had a drink of alcohol. And I'm also in my childhood family home. Oh, so am I. A week to discuss erotica. (laughs) And I also actually forced my sister last night to listen to the entirety of Veronica with me. What was her one word review? Um, she she like doesn't really like say much when I force her to do these things, but all she kept saying was, "Oh my god, icon." Okay. So I'm like, you know, I'll take it. I'll take it. I can live with that. I can't. I can't. I can't believe this is the first week I've chosen to drink a very sensible tea while we carry on. <laughs> I've got my tea here as well. Enough of this dilly-dallying, because we have such a jam-packed episode in front of us. Yeah. Eric, right up front, what is your top three this week? Oh my goodness. Um, okay, I'm going to be straight up. They're all from Erotica. Okay. <laughs> it seems to be a common thing with you. But they're, but they're, no, 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 but they're usually all... Um, okay, no. Maybe not actually, but they're usually is quite a bit from erotica in my top three anyway and just yeah. the added fact that we are recording this week they all happen to be in there but see the thing is me and erotica i have a weird relationship with it like a really really good relationship but i think mm. theoretically speaking i have always said that my favorite madonna album is ray of light but i think in reality it might be erotica just because of like how much I constantly revisit it c- compared to every other Madonna album. I genuinely think it is my, uh, probably the one that I, I go back to like again and again. Um, the songs are just so fucking good. So my top three this week, Waiting, um, which I know is one of your favorites. My top third listened to Song of the Year last year. Carry on. Yes. Just drop that Spotify yes. wrapped in again. Just uh, rub it in your face. <laughs> Oof. Um, second has got to be uh, uh, Where Life Begins. <laughs> but, and Naughty. obviously, like, we'll go into more depth later on in the episode. Well, spoilers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wait, was that a pun? Was that an unintentional <laughs> pun? Um, third... I must say, um, bad girl. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, seeing as no one's asking me. Well, I, I was actually just about to say, what are yours, Nicholas? <laughs> I was letting you take a fucking breather. No, no, there was no time for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, controversially, maybe, I'm going to stick with, um, like a prayer being in my top three. Mm-hmm. And no, I won't apologize for it. But seeing as I chose such a kind of local slash basic choice there, I'm going to choose as my number two the Japanese bonus track off um, Ray of Light Has to Be. Nice. That's my second in Madonna top three, which I think we should be including in our Ray of Light review in two weeks' time. We- we'll get to that in 2021. Oh, goodness. Um, then number three, let's say... Oof. I was going to include Santa Baby by Madonna as like a little festive joke, but I can't like even ironically enjoy that. Mm, so let's no. put 
um, let's say it's miles away from hard candy because I'm beginning my uh, in defense of hard candy campaign right now. Wow, this is early. In six weeks' time. This is early. Sow the seed early and you'll get the tree you need. Whatever that phrase is. Excuse me? Did you just make that up? (laughs) I did. Did you like it? Mm, Okay, moving on. It makes... Okay. (laughs) Um, I'm refusing to do Madonna news this week as she's being an idiot about deleting Facebook. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, we don't have to discuss that. (sighs) Okay. But... um, Quite a lot happened to Madonna from 89 to 92. So um, should we dive into that instead, as that's a kind of happier bit of news? Yeah, definitely. There's a lot to dive into there. So in between um, the closing calls of act of contrition and like a prayer and the opening uh, thumping bass of erotica, um, she released two kind of albums, but not really albums. The first is I'm Breathless, which includes... And that was for the Dick Tracy film. Uh, Vogue itself doesn't really actually <laughs> fit in with the movie, nor really kind of does, or really has anything to do with the kind of sonic landscape that was created by that soundtrack. No. But if you have a song that good, you are going to include it. Exactly. Um, Eric, do you have anything to say about that song apart from Wow? <laughs> what a great song. I mean, I think that song kind of would ro- warrant its own episode, but. Um, well, I was pushing for that, but here. Well, <laughs> due to my objections, we are moving straight on to erotica because I'm impatient and I really want to talk about it. And honestly, I mean, everyone knows Vogue. I mean, everyone, I'm, I'm sure you can find a million other podcasts that have talked about that song. So I didn't see it as, you know, a, um, as warranting an entire episode unto itself. But, <laughs> in my defense, I'm getting very defensive here, wow. <laughs> um, not, I mean, that song did a lot for the culture. Um, yeah. You know, it made a lot of things visible. If, you, if you've ever seen the uh, television show Pose, have you seen that, Nick? I have. Okay. I uh, also wrote my master's thesis on <laughs> oh. Madonna's Vogue. So uh, okay, okay. I didn't know. I didn't know. I mean, I assumed you it had seen. Great to dive into during my episode, but hey ho. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I'm joking. I'm joking. if you want, that's a that's an excellent show. If you want to know more about the sort of cultural context surrounding Vogue, just watch that. And I think. Uh, there's a lot of people who are probably a lot smarter than us or have a lot more <laughs> uh, justifiable things to say on this song of appropriation versus appreciation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I know where I fall on that um, argument, but I think, yeah, we'll leave it to the people who are better 
than us. Than well, I'm just going to say I love Vogue, and it's probably one of the most iconic pop songs ever made. But let's move on. Cool. And I'll put a link in the description of the better articles that discuss that in the description of this episode. Great. That was released May 22nd, 1990. Then at the end of the year, November 9th, 1990, she then released Unto the World, Immaculate Collection. Mm. Which I think was my first Madonna album I listened all the way through, <laughs> embarrassingly enough. Wow. But it was the... <laughs> Good introduction. And, right? <laughs> it does what it needs to do. Um <laughs> which remains the best-selling compilation album by a solo artist of all time and houses um, her ninth US number one, uh, Justify My Love. Needing, waiting for you to justify my love. Highest charting female debut on the Billboard charts of all time at that moment in time. Rescue me. It's kind of like funny in a way that mm-hmm. Justify My Love saw that chart success. Just like I mean, it was the music video was banned from MTV. Mm. Um, I mean, I guess also like a prayer, but I don't know. I think in 1990, it, it was almost like, well, obviously we'll get into this, but you see the sort of backlash she faced with erotica and her sex book and, um, seeing justify my love go to number one. It's like, okay. I, I don't know. Looking. Looking at what she was like priming us with in '89 and '90, it's it is kind of a bit confusing about why erotica was so controversial, <laughs> and all the other stuff wasn't. Was it like yeah. some sort of imagined like line, line in the sand exactly. that she crossed like culturally, or was it like um, just a kind of momentum thing where she's built up to kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> sexual explicit imagery in the pop culture? It was like, no, no. You've been too sexy for too long. We need to shoot you down a little bit now. Yeah. But, yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah. Her second Diamond album. Um, and uh, for those listening, by... for those listening, sorry. Yes. What was her first Diamond album? Do you want me to answer that? Do you know the answer to that? I think it's True Blue, but are you about to tell me I'm wrong? I think it's like a virgin. Oh God! Wait. Let's, let's see who's stopped. right. Let's see who's right. <laughs> God, if it's like a version, it won't stop um, I making fun of me. I will guarantee <laughs> you, nine. I'm like 98% sure it is. We went over this in your house that one time. Do you remember that? We did. It's diamond. Back yeah, it's like a version. Like a version is diamond. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that it's like a virgin in Immaculate Collection kind of shows that yeah. <laughs> people are just here for... Anyway. Yeah, well, this is why we have this podcast, right? Exactly. There we go. You're all caught up. You're ready to dive in erotica with us. Um, come with us on this journey as we take you through the history. Erotica, released October 20th, 1992. Uh, alongside Sex, her coffee table book, where she... Ding, ding, vanilla ice. Uh, <laughs> best-selling... <laughs> best-selling coffee table book of all time. 
Bookfinder lists as the most searched for out of print book in the US of A. I, I can attest to that. I think I genuinely looked. I was like looking on eBay for like months on end at one point in my life just to find a decent yet so affordable copy of it. Well, hands up, time you own it and I don't. Do you not? I thought I thought you I thought you ordered that Japanese edition of it. Yeah, well, it's not physically in my hands yet, so mm. I'm still <laughs> thinking it exists as a. Um, anyway, it is it's a fragment of my. Agenda. It is my prized possession. Well, great for you. Well done. <laughs> and obviously, I've searched down the PDF version on Google Books <laughs> online, <laughs> and it is just a beautifully shot book in, in and of itself. It's more art house than actual. It is. It is beautifully <laughs> shot. Definitely. Um, this album can be construed as a concept album of sorts for her alter ego of Mistress Dita. Mm-hmm. How weird that um, her and Dita Von Teese both chose the um, mononym of Dita to express their sexual desires, but we think it may be uh, both inspired by the German actress Dita Parlow. Mm-hmm. This is the first album from her own multimedia entertainment company, Maverick, mm-hmm. uh, and with it, that obviously came with greater independence and 20% royalty freeze for the album, only being matched by Michael Jackson at this moment Damn. in time. I know, crazy. Do you know who else is signed to Maverick? Or was signed to Maverick at this moment? Oh, I feel like I know the answer to this. It's iconic Canadian. If that Alanis. It is. I knew that. I knew that. I was going to say Alanis. What was Alanis even doing in 92? I know I'm taking us <laughs> massively off the point. I don't know. I mean, Jagged Little Pearl didn't come out to 95. Oh, there you go. I don't know. And, um, well, let's say that's all down to Madonna and well done, him. <laughs> um, so, worked almost exclusively with Shep Pettibone for this album, um, and he'd previously done the aforementioned horniness on the Immacul- Immaculate Collection, uh, Vogue, and Rescue Me. Um, I was looking at like what he did after this, and it's not that much. Mm. <laughs> he did Gary Barlow's solo album in the 90s. <laughs> Um, wow. And he did a few um, remixes of like other iconic pop ladies, but that's kind of it. So this was quite um, his peak then. It was, but I think he'd characterize it as he was working kind of underground DJ before that. He was happy doing that. Madonna kind of picked him out of obscurity, then plopped him back right in. Yeah, <laughs> again. Yeah, this is definitely his um, mainstream peak then. Yeah. And I think when people talk about Madonna kind of having that expert eye for one underground dance uh, kind of trends and also kind of of the moment producers and DJs, this and Shep is kind of the perfect example of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I usually love talking about the commercial successes of an album when we get to this point of the historical context, but I am upset to say this is the first album not to reach the Billboard uh, not to reach the top of the Billboard 200 since her debut. Yeah, it's generally seen as her kind of less commercially successful album, um, and the beginning of the end of her f- kind of first cultural zenith moment, which, which is like bullshit in retrospect. <laughs> but not and I think we'll see that continued through bedtime stories as well mm-hmm. of it did well she's still getting like number one singles yeah. but it's not the like tens upon tens of millions of records that she was selling before mm-hmm. but getting back into the controversy the vatican banned <laughs> her from entering the precincts <laughs> and the album was also banned in lebanon and china oh good old lebanon um, ah lebanon good old lebanon <laughs> Of the five, no, six singles released, only Erotica and Deeper and Deeper charted in America. 
Uh, and this album was um, supported by The Girly Show, which massive claim by me, but I think that's my favourite Madonna live show. Mm. I still haven't seen the full, like I've seen so many clips of it here and there, but I haven't seen mm. the full mm. um, tour. Um, like, you have to hold it through. down, I think. I think it... I think you have to do it in like song by song form. You can't do it as a kind of drowned world experience, which does have the full show on YouTube, mm. thoughtfully enough. Mm. Also, Madonna's just terrible at like um, the general mastering and preser- preserving of her back catalogue. Yeah. It's a bit of an um, absolute nightmare to see, but hey ho, that's Warner Brothers for it. Eric. General feelings of this album. <laughs> I, know, I know what you might be saying. Um, so, uh, like I said, erotica is. I mean, I don't think I would love Madonna as much if erotica didn't exist. Mm. Um, for me, erotica is such a defining moment in her career. And, um, you know, the context surrounding the album, um, in terms of its um, perceived um, lack of success relative to um, her previous records, um, I think, uh, I mean, there's a, a lot of reasons why that was going on but i think rightfully so a lot of people have um have gone back and examined erotica in a very very different light because obviously Mm. um the cultural context um shaping that album cannot I mean, it, it should not be understated. It, it was released, it was definitely way before its time. And, um, people look at it now as Madonna's, well, one of Madonna's best, if not her best, um, mm. or, or most important album. And I think that I agree with a lot of those critics. I think that, um, even though I, I probably wouldn't go as far as to say that it's like her technically best album. But it no. most definitely is her most important album. But I still do think it's quite sad that at the time, so many people misunderstood it. And I'm really, really, really glad that uh, a lot of people are looking back and seeing it as this, the highest points in her, not only her career, but in pop music in general, and um, re-examining its huge impact in a very very different light and i think you know in terms of the actual album itself it is just an excellent album and i think it is still today even though so many um pop artists have channeled this album uh, and followed in Madonna's footsteps in a way. This album still really, really holds up as just being so unique, and it sounds yeah. fresh. And I think it Madonna is so unique in not only her humor and her delivery on this album, but her earnestness because it the album does take a sort of 
dark turn halfway through. And that is also a very um, crucial component. I think like one, yes, agree with everything you say there. I think one, it's important to like put it in the context of what an unsuccessful album in massive inverted commas <laughs> is mm. in regards to this, because it still sold 6 million in its first year out. <laughs> yes. It still had kind of two world conquering singles and it still had a, um, 65, uh, what was it? 65 stop, um, sold out world <laughs> stadium tour. Yeah, exactly. Not stadium, arena tour. Um, and I think it's interesting to discuss the kind of, um, standard it's set for an album that had never been released of its kind before, as you said. Um, I was reading somewhere that when Beyonce released Beyonce, <laughs> the self-titled album, um, they literally didn't have a reference to go back to when they were discussing like partition, when they were discussing Beyonce, etc. And they had to kind of go all the way back to erotica mm-hmm. to reference a time when a pop star at their cultural zenith that's my word of the week, by the way. Um, at their cultural zenith, had so proudly, loudly, and explicitly reclaimed their sexuality before. Yeah. So for me, I think I agree with you that it is probably my favorite Madonna album. It, it kind of jostles with Bedtime Stories, Ray of Light, and American Life. Mm. So what and one month we're in for on this podcast. <laughs> um, interestingly, I think it's quite low on the usual Madonna calling cards, i.e. Catholicism and a dad. But I think objectively, probably like the coolest album in a back catalogue. Yes. Um, and as you said, special place in my heart for kind of the ardent and unflinching support and vocalization of the AIDS crisis at the time. Um, and I think not just kind of ardent support for the community, but also a kind of reclamation of how we viewed sex at that point of time as well. Yeah. And it's kind of not being ashamed of touch, not being ashamed of sex, not being ashamed of kind of openly declaring your kind of openly declaring your preference to have sex mm-hmm. was kind of just seen as a radical act in and of itself mm-hmm. um, at this moment in time. But yeah, I think. <laughs> no, definitely. Uh, I think it was also interesting that already five, five albums into her career, she was already kind of playing with the expectations of what her other albums had established for herself. So in the sense of she had already created an album which references back to the first album and it kind of signaled her, in inverted commas, return to the club, Mm -hmm. which was like warranted by Madonna, the debut album. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's something she like enjoys and kind of parrots and would be something she also kind of, something she exhibits through like kind of confessions as well. Yeah. Where it's like her big return to the club moment when, in like, honestly, she never left it. Yeah, it's just, yeah. <laughs> I think my question to you, though, is do you think it's a sexy album or is it an album about sex or is it not even an album about sex but intimacy in and of itself? Damn, this is a big question. And I've actually been thinking a lot about this question since yesterday mm. and how I would even address it. It's so complex because, I mean, I think this album is so complex and I I could write an entire, you know, essay or dissertation on it. Um, you know, let alone trying to f- fit all my thoughts into a one hour long podcast. But mm. I think ultimately I'd probably come to the conclusion that this is a sexual album. Mm. Um, and 
not necessarily a sexy album. I think the production in and of itself is intentionally quite cool. I think there's some things she could have done in the... I think there's some kind of calling cards she could have very easily like called upon to make this album more explicitly sexy as kind of the public knew it was to be. Mm-hmm. And sort of things like she could have used more, I don't know, <laughs> like very obvious like trumpet calling cards or she could have like sung in a more like raspy, whispery voice as opposed to kind of the cold, uh, like kind of like commanding whisper. She like utilised a talking voice she utilised. Mm-hmm. It's quite matter of fact in its approach yeah. to sex. And I think it's quite um, open in its discussion of sex as a dependency as opposed to a want. It feels more like a need than a kind of, um, this is a nice thing to have, Mm -hmm. you know? I think, I think for me, I think I, I see it as a very revolutionary album. I think it almost sounds like her intention was to make... Um, a massive statement and that's a good thing and I think that's maybe part of the reason why it doesn't feel sexy per se mm. and but mm. you know it, it it still has a lot to do with sex because I think I think you know she is trying to reclaim a certain something and she is um trying I mean she is trying to be blatantly and loudly um, disruptive in a way. And that in itself is inherently not sexy. Um, it's not in, it's not that intimate, um, but it's, it's important. Um, yeah. Or at the very least wasn't sexy until Madonna came around and released this and made it a kind of cultural norm for what sexiness is. Yeah. Shall we dive into the song of our mm-hmm. <laughs> I wrote in my notes that this is a spellbinding introduction oh, to Dita. Um, <laughs> I wrote um, the Farouz sample, um, which came with its own criticism. Um, mm. So that part in the bridge where she samples um, famed, iconic uh, Lebanese singer Farouz was apparently done without uh, permission and sparked a whole um, (laughs) legal war. Um, And I think that also probably has something to do with why it was banned in Lebanon. Um, um, I I will say I love the sample. Mm -hmm. Also, another interesting ref- uh, sample used was Cool in the Gang's Jungle Boogie, mm. which I think <laughs> is problematic in its own ways. And some people have seen it as a response to the male submissive, oh my god, male submissive view of Velvet Underground's Venus and Furs. So there you go. Wow. 
Um, Gremlin Positions was just about to come out, and, she, and people were describing it as maybe her own erotica moment. Anyway. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's very 1992, but also at the same time extremely timeless. It's It like strikes an exact chord of kind of... It had no kind of airs and graces, and it had no kind... It just seems like a completely organic song in its of its kind of evolution its production and what it was wanting to achieve mm-hmm. madonna seemed like in complete control of what the process would be like yeah and you could see that through the like previous versions of um you thrill me as a previous version of it was known which was used to great effect in the confessions to a mm. version of erotica which i heartily heartily recommend and also i think if you bought Erotica the album just purely off this song, I think it's a good introduction to the sonic landscape without giving too much away. Definitely. Yeah. It's just a good horny old ride. <laughs> it's what I describe it as. But shall we move on to Fever? So this song came almost about by accident. Yeah. She's just randomly humming this over um, Goodbye to Innocence, the up and down suite. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had rights to it by the end of the day. Peggy Lee even saying she loved it and loved Madonna. Wow. Which is rare for a um, female musician to (laughs) go out to bat for Madonna so much. Um, Again, it fits in with the mission statement of it uh, a lot. Um, if I was to be controversial, I would say it's maybe the least essential <laughs> of the kind of album package in and of itself. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I the only... Production, you can't... Sorry. No, no, sorry. I cut you off. But I think I only agree with that by virtue of it, like, not actually being Madonna's song. I think naturally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's better than any other cover version of it I've ever heard where people are just kind of doing the <laughs> finger clips in the air. Uh, finger clips? Finger clicks in the air. Uh, mm-hmm. Random drum pattern. I agree. Them as they do a kind of uh, <laughs> whispery Marlon Monroe impression. Mm-hmm. The video itself, though, was probably one of Madonna's coolest visuals. Uh, Madonna's coolest visuals ever, though, mm-hmm. with the red hair and the video effects. Mm-hmm. Again, so 1992, it hurts, but can't falter. Yeah, uh, mad that it was the second single, though. <laughs> I think yeah. uh, it it does kind of feel a little bit like the. Um, they were getting a bit sweaty mm-hmm. <laughs> about the reaction to Erotica and like quick yeah. put something uh, understanded by the uh, public yeah. and easy to reference that we can instantly push out. Yeah. It slaps. It slaps. It and it was does. also one half of the her only one and only SNL performance, which seems mad that she's only been there once. Yeah, that is wild. Um any additional thoughts? I Definitely think this is like my favorite rendition of the song. Um, mm. Obviously, I mean, I love Madonna, so maybe naturally so. I think that, <laughs> but I, I do think it's the best rendition of the song. I think she gives it something that um, she brings her own unique flair to it, and uh, uh, like you said, she does something different with it. Um, it's not uh, it's not your typical um, cover of of fever um 
but yeah, I do. I, I, I think I just agree with everything you said. Um, probably heard the least essential on the album by virtue of it just being a cover, but it's still a great song. Mm. Um, mm. and, uh, I'm definitely thankful that it was a last minute addition to the album, even though mm. it's probably the least essential. Um, I think if it, it fits in well with the album and the album's theme and, uh, the music like video is the music video is great, completely. And listening to how like Fever and especially um, did you do it later on? Mm-hmm. It just seemed like a much more kind of free form and like open for um, collaboration and a much kind of uh, fluid production and writing process, yeah. unlike all the other albums that she's kind of participated in before this yeah. which i think you can definitely hear in the results yeah and i think to its benefit but others might disagree speaking of original madonna outputs shall we transition straight into bye bye baby LL Cool J's Jingling Baby. That was Bye Bye and Baby. Um, again, <laughs> her sixth and final single from Erotica. Six singles in one album campaign. Can you believe it? Mm. I mean, she had like, what? She did. She had like six with True Blue, didn't she? <laughs> that was like the yeah. entire album. <laughs> God, I... I know it like <laughs> worked people to death, but what a <laughs> what a time was eighties and nineties record labels. It really <laughs> seemed like prime content. Are you reading that Kumarka? But um again not to be an erotica truther, but that's it's it does the job. It's fine. I like mm. that it kind of has Madonna in a kind of powerful Yet cheeky frame of mind, as that's my, as you all know by now, my favorite mode of Madonna. It's probably, <laughs> I will stop saying least essential after this, but the second least essential. Okay. <laughs> and it gets, it gets onto the good stuff after this, I promise you. But, uh, um, if someone was like, oh, well, let's put a rock on, I wouldn't be like, oh, please put on bye bye, baby. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess you're right about that. Um, but I actually kind of disagree with you. I actually really like this okay. song. I mean, I don't, I don't love this song, but I think it's just, I think it's quite humorous. I think it like sums up the humorous aspects of this album very well. Um, mm. she's at her boldest and her most, um, experimental, um, or most ambitious, I guess I would say, uh, so far in her career with this album. And, mm. um, I think that's almost reflected in her vocal delivery here. Like she, she does sound almost unrecognizable relative to her old work in the song. The entire song is mm. almost entirely spoken word. Um, uh, I quite like it. I like, I like her little, um, her little, um, oh, Eddie Oz. That too. Her, her ad libs throughout the song and, uh, oh, yeah. uh, her, her final line, you fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> That's not my favorite final line of the, of any song in a while, Kurt, but we'll get onto that later. Mm, but it's an iconic um, moment, nonetheless. It's an iconic moment, 
<laughs> me saying this is the least second least essential in Wattaker doesn't mean it's a bad song. It just means it's a eight out of ten in a sea of ten and elevens out of ten. You're right. Anyway, let's move on to uh, deeper and deeper. Deeper, e deeper. the deceptively long deeper and deeper every time I listen to it and then like look at the timestamp I'm like shocked that it's 5 minutes and 33 seconds and it's like mad that it like sustains yeah. its momentum through that there's no like let up in the song there's oh no God. kind of it just of... keeps getting better and better I think it's like to use this overused analogy, but like if an alien asks me, what does Madonna do well? Mm. <laughs> Which and it should be the alien's first question when it first <laughs> reaches it. But um, I think Deeper and Deeper is the perfect example of her being kind of queen of D-clubs, queen mm-hmm. of kind of um, exasperated passion, queen of kind of being that person you're kind of a little bit terrified of, but yes, want to follow until the ends of the earth. Yeah. And <laughs> Deeper and Deeper has that. But it's also like unrelenting and it's like different things it just chucks in and somehow still works mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. interpolation of Vogue at the end that like yep. flamenco guitar that just randomly appears yep um and i think the video is the perfect encapsulation of that as well um i just out and out love this song yep i mean you saw the words right out of my mouth um the song takes so many different random elements from so many corners and somehow gets it so perfectly um mm. That flamenco guitar, like you said, the self-referencing with the Vogue sample. I mean, she's the queen of self-referencing, you mm. know. I mean, she can. She's Madonna. Um, I mean, yeah. You know. Uh, and I think it's one of the greatest songs in the Madonna pantheon. Absolutely agree. Special shout out to Sofia Coppola in her first uh, on-camera film role uh, in the music video, too. Wow. Wow. I always forget about that. <laughs> Um, ready for where life begins? So, like, really embarrassingly, I did. It took me like a really embarrassingly long time to realize this song <laughs> was about Cunnilingus. No, this is worse than my weird Papa Don't Preach tangent I went on two episodes ago. <laughs> but yeah, I think. Um, <laughs> I'm running out of ways to just say I love this song. It's so I, explicit I in song. its delivery, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you when you were listening to this? <laughs> I think it was last week. But um So I think it's the sexiest song on the album too. I think um if someone was listening to this song and they heard it and then they saw that it was on the like parent album of Erotica, 
they'd be like, oh yeah, though, this is what the album was trying to achieve by it being like an out and out sex album, mm. which obviously I have reservations about, which I'll get onto when we're discussing Bad Girl. Mm. But yeah, I think it's, it's wordplay is hilarious. I think it's clear that the sexy moments are always with a kind of wink and a uh, tongue-in-cheek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the um, Colonel Sanders says it best, finger-licking good. Oh, but um... Favourite line <laughs> on the entire album. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and I think... Um, what am I trying to say? Especially in 1992, obviously neither of us are alive, but excited to talk about Bedtime Stories next week, which is the first album I'll be alive for. Oh, you're so but, uh, <laughs> <I'm so old. laughs> um, but uh, well, it was even like such a controversy when Sex and the City were talking about getting there licked out like four years later. Yeah. So for Madonna, the biggest pop star in the world, to discuss it in such like um, explicit yet warmly inviting and like mm-hmm. not even like controversial terms, just like openly discussing mm-hmm. how much she enjoys like participating in the act of mm-hmm. it seems like radical. Which is repeating. Definitely. No, definitely. I mean, even like to use an obvious cultural reference that everyone, if you know, you weren't living under a rock this year will get like, you know, there was already so much, there was still so much backlash when WAP came out. And Mm -hmm. it's like, Mm -hmm. yes, Madonna's broke so many barriers for future women in pop to express their sexuality like that and talk about their, um, pussies. Um, <laughs> and it shouldn't, it shouldn't go understated, but, um, be, like society just seemingly still gets uncomfortable when women acknowledge that they, um, that they have private parts and like using them. Love us two cisgendered men discussing this, but yeah, carry on. Yeah, I apologize, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, it's true, right? Like, uh, yeah. I don't know, man. I just, <laughs> I just think it's ridiculous. I think everyone needs to take a fucking chill pill. Also, I'm I mean, I, I think that um, the lyrics on this song are some of the most quotable. But yeah, I, I love the piano that comes in around the bridge. I'm actually weirdly obsessed with the random sprinkles of jazzy piano throughout this album. Well- Exactly. I think like the instrumentation itself in this album is just like unreal. It is. Especially this. But then, um, obviously we'll get onto it later, but Secret Garden as well just feels like it's mm-hmm. <laughs> improvised free form jazz in and of itself. It is. Yeah. But then still ravaged in like a sweet pop package. Yeah. Mad. Mad. Um, for sure. But we're straying off the point. So let's dive right first into Bad Girl. <laughs> Bad girl. This was in my top three this week. It was. You want to tell me why? Um, I don't know. I just find it really catchy and I love the music video. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I actually do think it. Um, this is where the album sort of starts to acknowledge a dark side and melancholy to the kind of lifestyle yeah. she's describing and sort of yeah. epitomizes the quote unquote ugliness of this album in a way. Hmm. 
Um, yes, so completely agree. And I think when I was discussing like where life begins being the kind of explicit mission statement of erotica from like a layman who like hadn't listened to erotica before, I think Bad Girl is the actual mission statement of erotica. It's the kind of longing, waiting, needing, lol, mm-hmm. of um, <laughs> wanting that kind of sensual, sexual release, but also the kind of ramifications and the kind of um, societal pressures of wanting that itself. It's like deceptively deep in its presentation mm-hmm. as well. It's quite like existential in its like lyrical form. It's quite, um, well, it's not, well, I suppose that's another discussion point. Do you think this song's slut shamey or do you think it's kind of, an examination of addiction in and of itself, separate from mm-hmm. any kind of consideration around female sexuality. I definitely don't think it's slut shamey at all. Um, I mean, look at the album it's being placed on. I think yeah, Madonna yeah. is not ashamed at all about being perceived as a slut. Well, let's not keep people waiting anymore. Ah, good one. So, Waiting, my third most listened to song of 2020. Mm. Did you know that the actual Waiting, Waiting, is sampled from Justify My Love? Or as a reference to Justify My Love? Oh my god. This is my first time getting that. Right? Wow. Um, I've never noticed that before. Right? Fuck. I'd say this is probably the sexiest song on the album. I think it's between... I think it's between this and and Secret Garden, but we obviously haven't Oof. gotten to that yet. We have not. Yeah, I think she really perfectly encapsulates kind of sexual longing um, mm-hmm. and the need for... Um, yeah. <laughs> it's embarrassing talking about sex, but... Um. <laughs> for some reason, I wrote in my notes, gosh, I relate, LOL. <laughs> I'm just getting flashbacks of knowing both my parents listen to this. So, <laughs> what I did want to mention was this is a song so good they essentially included it twice. And I know yeah. Did You Do It is quite controversial mm-hmm. in the Madonna fandom of like, why is it included if Madonna's not even in it? But I do think it's a kind of, it's a cool vibe piece, if nothing else. Yeah, I do. Th- I always loved the choice of placing that as the penultimate track on this record um, Mm. until I sort of became more conscious of, I guess, the lyrical content. Yeah. Did you do it? It kind of goes... The the rapping. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It kind of goes against every single thing Madonna kind of set up in the album. Yeah, it's a little bit... um, It sounds a little bit exploitative, if anything. Um, Yeah. For those listening, if you don't know, um, on the explicit version of this album, um, she included a sort of rework of uh, this song as 
uh, the second to last track. Did you do it? You know I did it. Did you do it? You know I did it. Did you do it? You know I did it. I left the seat behind and I hit it. Did you do it? Yo, you know I did it. Did you do it? Yo, Mark, I said I did it. Did you do it? Yo, I backed that quick because I thought I split it. You didn't do it. He didn't do it. I made a goal. Uh, so, Did You Do It features Mark Goodman and Dave Murphy and was a, as Madonnapedia calls it, a parody of waiting. And it was sort of, and it was sort of recorded like improvisationally in the studio. They yes, were kind of just yeah. fooling around um, and yeah. the two started rapping over, um, uh, over. It was literally while Madonna was out for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> and then she was like, the she came back. <laughs> I love that fact. The lyrical content is basically just suggesting whether they have or have not had sex with Madonna yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and <laughs> Which, it appears as the second to last uh, track on this album, uh, depending on uh, the version of the album you're listening to. But we're just going to include it in this. Um, um, shall we go hearts. on to a common inclusion in my top three? Um Week on week, Thief of Hearts is. So let's dive straight in. Fun fact, yet once more, did you know this song is allegedly about Annette Benning? <laughs> yes, you never fail to bring this up. <laughs> and I think it's hilarious. Elizabeth Warren lookalike versus. <laughs> I, I, I think this song, even though I love it and I think it contains some of the most hilarious moments on this album, specifically bitch. the sort of yeah. glass breaking at the beginning and Madonna going, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> um, I don't think the song would fly today um, simply because no. of female solidarity. Um, I suppose if I'm asking if Bad Girl was slut shaming, is this? Uh, yeah, I think I think if there's special. any song in the album that is problematic from a feminist perspective, it's probably this one. Mm. But you know, in the in 1992, I mean, let her have her catharsis. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, yes, and it's not blaming the man in any <laughs> way, shape, yeah, or form which is, about his yeah. own indiscretion, but. Eho, the song still bangs, though. Yeah, it definitely does. <laughs> but, interestingly, I think it uh, shares a lot of thematic um, sonic landscapes. Essentially, it's a continuation uh, in the next song, which is Words. It's kind of, it kind of feels like um, this definitely feels like the center of an immediately of um, Thief of Hearts's Baby Forgive Me. What words does? If you catch my drift. Yeah, it's like a continuation of the sonic landscape, but does something a little bit more interesting. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. Potentially. Interesting. It's incredibly camp, was my <laughs> first take. Yeah, well, it is pretty take, camp. My initial response to words. Um, obviously, yes, there's the kind of literal reading of it in terms of her discussing it with her uh, partner. But I think it is also a good um, song to consider as her relationship with the media as well. Mm-hmm, definitely. And her um, the common 
approach of discussing her as a kind of slat, as much as I hate using that word, mm-hmm. but was the common way of like approaching <laughs> anything in relation to Madonna at that moment in time. Yeah. I don't have that much else to add, except that the typewriter sounds at the end. I cannot help but think of Madame X foreshadow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Next up, another frequent flyer in my top three, Rain. I was reading a really interesting article about the Walker. As again, believe it or not, audience, that we do quite a lot of research before each episode. Um, and someone kind of signaled Rain as, I think this is the second to last single, and it's kind of signaled a potential attempt to course correct after kind of mm-hmm. the world losing their minds to the erotica campaign. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> I, d- I do find it like quite ironic that during her whole, um, something to remember era the compilation that she released in 1995 of ballads that sort of does feel like a course correction in a way this song was um included on it only i mean this song was a part of that course correction because i mean i kind of always took this as especially placing it in the context of erotica um, I always sort of took this song as an innuendo. I mean, she's mm. talking about feeling I mean, her partner's brain. Is it about semen or is it? <laughs> <laughs> I think it, I think it really has a double meaning. I don't know if it's intentionally yeah. supposed to, um, come off as an innuendo, but I definitely take it as such in the context of the album. Um, but that being said, it's still a stark standout and really the only real, adult ballad um on a disco house hip-hop inspired album centered around sex Mm. it definitely is kind of indicating to us that the party's kind of coming to an end Mm -hmm. (laughs) of this album and uh the sobriety of the situation they found themselves in 1992 is kind of about to be discussed i will give a shout out to the video which i do love and would (laughs) and accept and love madonna in a black bob any day of the week (laughs) what i will say about the course correction though is like the mad fact of after human nature on bedtime stories she released like nine literal ballads in a row (laughs) (laughs) and i think it like did her the world of good because the world kind of accepted her again as well as like kind of through Avita, but was willing to accept her again for Ray of Light. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm sidetracking us, but I think that kind of train got set in motion by Rain. Yeah. But hey ho, let's move on to why is it so hard? <laughs> So, why is it so hard? Eric, what do you think? It's a good song. It's one of my least favorite songs in the album, only in that, like, I would... I'm never dying 
to listen to it by itself. Mm. Um, but I think it's a crucial component of the album and still a good yeah. song. Um, I think it definitely aged well. And the questions it asks is definitely more resonant than ever. Again, it would be remiss to not mention the version that's on the girly show. So it comes right off the heels of um, Express Yourself and Deeper and Deeper, mm. which were kind of kind of sweaty uh, dance explosions. And this is kind of presented as the uh, kind of hangover to that, mm-hmm. where like people were either ashamed or didn't want to touch each other and were like struggling to kind of touch each other as like part of the dance routine. Mm-hmm. And I think a really indicative of the time of the peak AIDS anxiety, as you were saying, and kind of the privilege of human contact at that moment in time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of particularly resonant in these weird global pandemic times too. If you've never heard this song before, I'd highly recommend the Girly Show version over the actual album version. But that's my uh, <laughs> Madonna snob. <laughs> Great. Shall we move on to our second last track? Oof. In This Life. Quite hard to talk. So, it's very emotional. It is. Um, definitely the most sober moment on the album. Um, mm. I think the album definitely takes a very serious turn towards um, the end. And this is definitely the most yeah. darkest sounding song on the album, I would say. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, it, we, in our last episode on Like a Prayer, we obviously talked about, um, uh, Madonna being um, a major ally to the queer community and talking about AIDS um, when it wasn't um, cool or (laughs) that's the right word (laughs) Um, when many people weren't. And, um, yeah, where it could actually prove kind of disadvantageous to your career to discuss it. Yeah, and um, but it, this song acknowledges, I mean, I think it would be uh, such a miss to release an entire album centered, an, an entire concept album centered around sex and pleasure um, in 1992 and not acknowledge the reality of the time. And I think, yeah. I think that is inescapable from this album's context. It's very on the nose. Um, especially in the spoken word bit towards the end. But um, in this case, I, I think it's extremely relevant and I respect and appreciate her so much for it. Completely, completely. I think, um, maybe this is a bit controversial, a song 
I enjoy the merits of and the history of and appreciate the um, what it means much more than the actual listening experience itself. If that's yes, fair. definitely, I would agree with that. Uh, well, shall we whiz right into the final track, "Secret Garden"? Even at my secret garden, there's a chance that I could. So I think this is a song that's maybe musically one of like the most impressive in her back catalogue. Yeah, I agree. It's like free form, it's like jazz, yep. it's somehow still sensual, it's somehow still a pop song. Mm-hmm. And like the way she sings it is so like unlike any other pop song, pop artist at that moment in time. Mm-hmm. Um I think this album uh this song, sorry, brings the album almost full circle after um these couple of really sober moments um i think it is an absolute peak on this record um even though every song for me is like pretty much uh eight to eleven out of ten um and i think it's uh it's experimental qualities um it's almost freeform jazz expression, like you said, um, is one of her most brilliant moments, um, in her, in her back catalog. And I, I would, I think I would go as far to say as, um, this is probably the most sensual moment on the album, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think waiting is definitely up there, but waiting also had a lot of burns, if that makes sense. I think this is the most intimate moment in a way, seeing as she is um, singing about her, you know. Down belows. It's interesting because like, we've referenced like the cool production a lot in this album, but I think this is somewhere where the instrumentation and the production is allowed to be quite um, warm yeah, and quite inviting and quite... Uh, just generally, I hate this word, but nice. <laughs> no, I agree, and I think that's par- also part of the reason why this uh, uh, this song to me feels like um, the album's most sensual moment in a way. Um, it lacks that sort of cold production that the rest of the album has. Well, that was the album that was Erotica. Oh God, what a ride! Also, it's. About four tracks longer than an album we usually do, so well done us for it. <laughs> we accomplished that. I'm actually really we did it. I'm really impressed. We did it. Do you want to take us through well researched and beautiful journey of the cultural and critical impact this album had? Uh yes, I'll try to whiz through this. Um so when Madonna had released this album in tandem with um, her highly controversial sex book, um, it was sort of the general consensus that Madonna had gone too far, um, as we had touched on a little bit. Um, but uh, it was still heavily praised by critics, and especially in retrospect, um, a lot of critics have um, praised it as one of the most revolutionary albums of all time, including the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. 
um, they they specifically declared that few women artists before or since erotica have been so outspoken about their fantasies and desires. Uh, Madonna made it clear that shame and sexuality are mutually exclusive. In the end, erotica embraced and espoused pleasure and kept Madonna at the forefront of pop's sexual revolution. And so, uh, Slant Magazine's uh, Sal Singimani on the album's impact uh, wrote that by 1992, Madonna was an icon, untouchable, literally and figuratively, and erotica was the first time the artist's music took on a decidedly combative, even threatening tone, and most people didn't want to hear it. Uh, he went on to say uh, that erotica's irrefutable unsexiness, going back to the sort of discussion we had, probably says more about the sex equals death mentality of the early 90s than any other musical document of its time. This is not Madonna at her creative zenith. This is Madonna at her most important, at her most relevant, and no one else in the mainstream at that time dared to talk about sex, love, and death with such frankness and fearlessness. Which is a quote that I absolutely absolutely love as well. Absolutely. Um, So what do you think this album meant for the rest of her career and maybe button that up with kind of final thoughts on the album as well? I mean, I think that this album um, sort of established Madonna as um, only a, you know, a, a serious... Uh, if we go back to Lega Pereira establishing Madonna as a sort of serious artist, quote unquote, you know, the cultural icon that she is and became, Erotica established her as one of the most important women in music ever. And I think this album came with the recognition that she was, um, had reached a zeitgeist moment. Um, and she had essentially done all that she needed to do in regards to mainstream pop mm-hmm. in inverted commas. She'd she'd basically <laughs> done it. She'd completed it. She'd done everything she needed to do. Anyone, any pop star had ever needed to do with the releasing of Madonna, like a virgin, true blue, and like a prayer. Mm-hmm. There was nothing she else needed to accomplish yeah. through that, through kind of popular music in some ways, I will, is in that. So then she could then inhibit a role which I think she's took with her throughout the rest of her albums, throughout the rest of her career, as Madonna, still a pop star, and yes, still very much having wide appeal, but still introducing more um, orally challenging um, segments of her music Mm -hmm. to things, and that might be the incorporation of massive eye roll, because I hate this phrase, but world music, or it might be the incorporation of Mm -hmm. um, not having the most inviting of production or things that you might immediately get yeah. Um, again in inverted commas and it's something that you might have to like work on or something that you might have to have a few listens to understand etc yeah. but it's something that I think she consciously moved towards one so she didn't become stale which thank god she didn't but two I think it was something that was very much needed and necessary for her artistry just in general definitely um, building off that and going back to the Slant Magazine quote um, that I just quoted, I would disagree in that uh, he, Sal wrote 
that this is not Madonna at her creative zenith. It's Madonna at her most important, her most relevant. I disagree. I agree with the latter part, but I disagree with the former and that I, I do think this is Madonna at her most important, her most relevant, but I also think this is the beginning of Madonna at her creative zenith. Um, mm. that continued, um, throughout the next few albums. And I think that's reflected in the fact that this is her first album released on her own label and that she did have a lot more artistic freedom. There's an, like three agreed upon moments in her career where she's at her probably most cultural and commercially successful, right? There's mm-hmm. the kind of initial 80s flush that takes us from true, takes us from probably mid like virgin to end of like prayer. There's then Ray of Light in and of itself and music probably included in that. And then Confessions as well are probably her three most uh, discernibly successful eras. Mm-hmm. But I don't, but I think that does a disservice to, um, and I don't think that joins up particularly with when Madonna's actually the most culturally and creatively vibrant. I agree. And I'd use this album and I'd use American Life and I'd use Bedtime Stories as examples of that. Yeah. So yes, we're out of her first kind of monolithic um, cultural god era, but I'm kind of happy that we are. Mm-hmm. Definitely. <sighs> Anything more to say? <laughs> no. What a ride that was, though. What a ride. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am with my puns again. Hello. <laughs> Please do... Like, subscribe, rate us, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, I believe we're on. Follow us at True Review Pod, um, www.culturecultchur.com for more of Eric's writings on music, which is very good. Thank Eric, you. anything more you'd like to plug? Uh, no, you basically said everything. There you go. See you next week for probably. Uh, if not my favourite, the album I most hold most dear to my heart in terms of Madonna, which is Bedtime Stories. I'm looking forward to it. See you in 2021. Happy New Year, Nicholas. Happy New Year. Bye.